new or this is your first time, my name is Drew Simpson. This is Aaron Weiser. We're both uh, pastors here. Uh, we want you to know that uh, you're at home here. You're welcome here. We want you to feel that. Uh, if you are newer, we would love to know that you're here. Uh, the best way to do that is after the service, there's a welcome card. If you fill that in and turn it in, you get a gift from a ministry in India that we support that has a great story. You get to hear more about that when you do that. Um, and also know this, that uh, as we're here together, we have uh, the God who created every single thing on earth. He knows the hairs on your head. And he's big, he's powerful, he is bigger than everything else, yeah. but today he wants to meet you personally in a powerful way that transforms your life through the gospel. Amen. It's going to be a good time. So, we're going to hop into the sermon, Yeah. into the word. We're winding down, we're winding up our, winding down, winding, winding up. Down, winding we're up. finishing our series. Yep. Yeah. 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 Buttoning up, button down. Yeah. Yeah. Finishing up. So, uh, and this is the last week, right, of, right. of Latter Days. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Our Latter Glories. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Let me pray for you. Yeah. Jesus, I thank you for um, Aaron, and I uh, ask that you would help him to communicate uh, clearly the things you've put on his heart. I ask that you would um, make our hearts sensitive to your voice, um, that we would um, not just hear a sermon, but we would encounter um, the power of your word um, through the moving of your spirit. Jesus, thank you for this Sunday. Uh, Thank you for uh, this wonderful uh, opportunity to uh, meet together, to celebrate, to connect, uh, and to discover you uh, in your word. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. That's right. Someone's excited. Thanks. Uh, Why don't you go ahead and open up to Nehemiah. Um, If you don't have a Bible this morning, we have Bibles over at the info table. You can take one uh, if you don't own one. That's our gift to you this morning. Um, Also, if you go on the Church on the Rock Homer app, uh, there's not only a Bible there in the app, but there's a note-taking page in the app where you can uh, add notes if you want. Uh, How many of you noticed that our note-taking cards that you receive at the doorway are heavier paper? You're welcome. You're welcome. That was me. That was my decision personally. Flimsy paper for taking notes is just not cool, you know? Anyways. So uh, open your Bibles up to Nehemiah 12. I'm going to give you just a real quick review as to where we've been. We're in week five of our series uh, covering the time frame around when the people of Israel came out of the time of discipline, uh, where God allowed them to be overcome, taken captive, and hauled away for 70 years. They come back to Jerusalem, and now they're trying to rebuild. They're trying to recapture, uh, in a sense, uh, the, the, the things that God had intended for them all along. They're trying to learn to walk in obedience again to God. On week number one, I talked about the story where they lay the foundation of the new temple, and half of them are celebrating, and half of them are bawling their eyes out because they're so depressed about it, right? That oftentimes when we make a decision... After failure, after wandering, we make a decision to turn to the Lord. Uh, Many people struggle with a loss of confidence, believing that the potential to experience fully the grace of God has been lost. Uh, We arrive at that place in our relationships, in our careers, and we think, I'll never have the opportunity. Uh, And yet God meets us there. He says, the glory of the later, of the latter, will be greater And that glory will be my glory as you make yourself dependent upon me. Week two, uh, Edson, Dr. Knapp, 
uh, talked through what it looks like to navigate difficult consequences. Some of you, maybe it was immaturity, maybe it was just flat out disobedience, have have experienced as a result of that difficult consequences. And now that you're really pursuing the Lord, it has not erased those consequences. You're still trying to sort it out and figure out, now that I'm following the Lord, what do I do about these situations that I've created for myself? And how do I trust the Lord in the midst of difficult consequences? And then uh, week three, I talked about uh, the strategies of the enemy to discourage your efforts to rebuild making fun of you, making you, uh, confusing you, distracting you, uh, questioning your intentions. And then last week, uh, I so enjoyed Skip's teaching last week, he talked about rejoicing in the grace of God revealed in his word. What was it? Eat the fat and drink the wine. Enjoy the grace of God. Embrace the gift of God's grace in your life, regardless of where you're at today, you can choose to embrace that. Well, today we're going to put in the final piece, and I'll tell you what my theme is this morning. The theme of this story is the people of Israel trying to rebuild a corporate worship environment, a corporate worship experience, coming together as God's people and figuring out again how to do that together. This is, more so than most, a very self-serving sermon for me. Because if you guys would be a better church, my job would be easier. So I hope that you pick up that tone of a little bit of condescension. No, I'm just kidding. This is one of the things I love about teaching through the narrative of Scripture is that the narrative dictates its own themes, right? And so we, we find ourselves walking into different themes that maybe we wouldn't have chosen had we just been thinking about what we wanted to teach. Today we land on the theme of the corporate worship gathering and how the corporate worship gathering is a critical piece of you personally experiencing all that God has for you of you personally rebuilding in a way that honors the Lord, in a way that uh, helps you to step into the full experience of his grace. So that's this morning. You guys ever have uh, moments where just some, some maybe insignificant brief event in your life, it's like a parable to you? You ever have that? You see a spiritual lesson in something? Nan does. Me and Nan, we're on the same page. I had one this week when I was a teenager in Homer. We used to play a game, and I apologize for this. This was before I was a pastor, uh, called Moose Slapping. And the way the game to work is that if you happened upon a moose whose rear was like on the roadside facing away from you, uh, the passenger would climb out the window of the car get positioned, and then you would drive up as quickly as you could, and they would try to smack the moose. Some of you think that's great. Some of you are concerned. I was at a, uh, we were actually up at Roden Roberts house uh, last week having dinner with some of the family members, or coffee or something. Anyways, we're on our way home, and 
um, came around the corner up on Skyline to one of the long straightaways, and I was just with Jenny, and there was a moose standing on the road with its behind kind of up in the air next to the, right on the white line. And I said to Jenny, I was like, man, you could probably slap that thing. <laughs> and my wife of 20 years, the mother of my six children, didn't even break her conversation, we were talking about something else, rolled down the window and proceeded to climb out the window of the passenger <laughs> side of the door. <laughs> She did not, the moose moved, but that's the kind of simple faith I want to characterize my life, you know? Like when God just says, hey, here's an opportunity that I would just say, okay, here we go. I'm just going to, I'm climbing out the window, you know? Let's do this. Let's pick it up in Nehemiah chapter 12, the restoration of corporate worship. I'm going to pick it up in verse 42. And the singers sang with Jezrahiah, their leader. And on that day, they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced because God had given them great joy. Even the women and children rejoiced so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard from afar. And on that day, men were also appointed over the chambers for the stores, the contributions, the first fruits, and the tithes to gather them in from the fields of the cities, the portions required by the law for the priests and Levites. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and Levites who served. For they performed the worship of their God and the service of purification together with the singers and the gatekeepers in accordance with the command of David and of his son Solomon. For in the days of David and Asaph, in ancient times, there were leaders of the singers, songs of praises and hymns of thanksgiving to God. And so all Israel in the days of Zerubbabel and Nehemiah gave the portions due the singers and the gatekeepers as each day required and set apart the consecrated portion for the Levites. And the Levites set apart the consecrated portion for the sons of Aaron. And on that day, they read aloud from the book of Moses and the hearing of the people. I just, want to, I just want to point out four observations from this little story here. Four elements to rebuilding a vibrant community of faith. These are four elements that we see uh, reinstated repeatedly throughout Scripture, including in the New Covenant. We find these same consistent elements every time that the community of faith made some concerted effort to like, uh, develop its own identity, right? its own worship expression. Four elements to rebuilding a vibrant community of faith because these people, again, are rebuilding Number one, there was corporate organized worship. Let's be honest. How many of you, your favorite part of Sunday morning is what comes right after I'm done teaching? You can be honest. That's right. The worship, right? For some of you, that, that expression of corporate worship, of just enjoying the Lord through music, is what makes the corporate gathering so meaningful. 
Corporate worship is always, historically for thousands of years, has been a critical component to building or rebuilding a vibrant community of faith. And I love the fact that it says the people drew from the example of David and Asaph, which in our minds we might think of as peers, but it says the ancient example because this was hundreds of years later. They looked back at the example of David and said, man, there was, there was an environment of enjoying the presence of the Lord through worship that we want to recapture and rekindle. And in order to do that, they got organized with their musicians. They appointed song leaders. In fact, it says at one point that they divided the singers into groups and had them stand on different parts of the cities for effect. That's why we have music here while we have music in the commons. It's just for the effect. Now, I know it's distracting for some of you, but give the kids a break. It was a creative expression of their enjoyment of God. It was just simply the joy of worship. Uh, I most frequently sing with Haley Fisher when I sing on Sunday mornings. She's my other female lead. And then recently also with Chelsea uh, Weiser, my sister-in-law. I tell you what, there's a couple songs that they sing. I get saved all over again. And I know that's not even theologically accurate, but somehow it just happens, right? There's something about the corporate worship expression that just moves our hearts, right? That lifts our hearts to the Lord as we see the people of God enjoying his presence together. There was corporate organized worship. Secondly, there was the presentation of scripture. The people wanted to hear the will and command of God so that they may follow it. There was a rediscovery of the word of God, the command of God. Skip talked about this last week, that they heard the commands of God and they were weeping, they were mourning because they realized how far they had strayed and they, Nehemiah stops him and he says, no, this is a time of joy, joy in the Lord. So there was corporate organized worship, there was uh, the presentation of the scriptures, uh, the Bible, or the, the, their, the Torah for them uh, was read aloud to the people. And then thirdly, there was the giving of tithes and offerings. And I love how it says this in verse 44. It says, on that day, men were also appointed over the chambers for the stores, the contributions, and the first fruits and the tithes to gather them in from the fields of the cities of the portions required by law for the priests and Levites. So they, they actually put some people in charge and said, hey, you guys are going to receive the tithes and offerings. And then it says this, for Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who served. Isn't that beautiful? Their motivation was the joy that they found in honoring the service of the people who had been called to serve. Their generosity, their giving to this, this faith community expression, their giving they saw as directly impacting the people who served them in facilitating that corporate worship expression. 
It said they, they found joy. They rejoiced in their capacity to be a blessing to those who were called by God to facilitate this, to lead this, to organize this effort. It was a personal connection that they found uh, in giving the tithes and offerings. And then number four, there was overwhelming joy. Don't you love that? On that day, verse 43, they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced because God had given them great joy. Even the women and children rejoiced so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard from afar. You know that joy is actually one of the most common criticisms I hear about the church. And it goes like this. Everyone just puts on a happy face and pretends like their life is fine, but I know that it's not. What if people are not pretending? What if there actually is a joy that comes from the Lord that, that, that rises above our particular circumstance? What if the happiness, the smiles, the enthusiasm that you see when God's people are gathered together is not a disguise, but the most real version of that person? It says this about their joy. It says uh, in verse 43 that God had given them great joy. Their joy was from God that it was for everyone and that it was very noticeable. So it says that the, so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard from afar. Man, do you hear those guys down there? They are really happy about something. There was overwhelming joy. Just had some conversations this week with my brother Daniel and his wife Chelsea. It's one of the things I've noticed about them. Have you noticed that they're like oddly happy? I mean, I'm happy, but I don't, you don't have to like show it so much, you know? Like you could just like keep it in check a little bit. But I've known them long enough to know two things. Number one, their joy comes from the Lord. And number two, it is not fake. Have you ever hung out with Kathy and Carrie Ingerbretson? Joy that comes from the Lord. It's not a joy that is a testimony of the fact that I've never dealt with trials in my life. It's not a joy that is an expression of the reality that I don't have current trials in my life. It is a joy that comes from the Lord that when we gather together as God's people is one of the primary characteristics of that gathering that we experience together. The joy that comes from the Lord and is available to everyone and then becomes our testimony to the world. I'm not joyful because God has given me everything I ever wanted. I'm joyful because God is everything I've ever needed. And my heart is being transformed until he is everything that I've ever wanted. Isn't that amazing? 
It's joy from the Lord. Just recently got to meet uh, Dwayne and Beth Kloss. It's the joy of the Lord, you know? Some people just ooze that. It's a gift to the body of Christ. It really is. So there was corporate organized worship. There was presentation, uh, the presentation of Scripture. There was the giving of tithes and offerings. And there was overwhelming joy. Perfect. And then Nehemiah takes a little trip, takes a leave. Nehemiah, of course, worked for the king of Persia. That's where he was employed. He had actually been given permission to leave for a while uh, and go down and help Jerusalem get rebuilt and reestablished. And he went back to uh, his capital city and checked on things there, right, with the king for a period of time. And then he came back to Jerusalem. And things had fallen apart again already. And this is what happened. I call this four steps towards pulling your hair out, which I'll explain here as we go through these. Nehemiah returns home, and the first thing he finds is faith leaders prioritizing personal gain. That's on us. Uh, the passage up there, I'm not going to put all this on the screen, but it says uh, in, in verse 6, But during this time I was not in Jerusalem, for in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had gone to the king, and after some time I asked for leave from the king, and I came to Jerusalem, and I learned about the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah by preparing a room for him in the courts of the house of God. It was very displeasing to me, so I threw all of Tobiah's household goods out of the room, and then I gave an order, and they cleansed the rooms, and I returned there the utensils of the house of God with grains and offerings and frankincense. This is what happened. There's a guy presiding over the temple worship, right? And his buddy moves into town, and he's like, uh, do you have any place I can stay? And he says, oh, not really, but uh, we have this temple. We don't really use the space very well. You can move in there. Let me just move some things. And they move all the stuff out of the temple, and his buddy Tobiah moves into like the spare room of the temple. It's not, it's actually not like a grossly immoral thing. It was an inappropriate thing. It was an inappropriate uh, effort to like retain some sort of personal benefit from his position as a spiritual leader, right? It's inappropriate. And Nehemiah calls him on it because these small compromises eventually undermine things that really matter things that are really important. I remember actually as a teenager, as you know, my parents uh, worked overseas in the Philippines for 26 years, I think, uh, with Resources for the Blind. Resources for the Blind was a pretty phenomenal organization. I mean, they're my parents, so I'm probably biased, but I think it was pretty awesome. They had like 65, I think, employees, saw 50,000 clients a year. And if you went into their main office in Manila, they had a refrigerator with drinks for the staff with a little ledger. The drinks cost like, in the Philippines, I want to say like 20 cents maybe, 25 cents. I remember watching my dad, the executive director, 
writing down his 25 cent drink tab in the drink tab manual next to the refrigerator. Thinking, my God, dude, get real. You've earned yourself some drinks, I would think. Doesn't have to be grossly immoral. It's a series of small decisions to retain some personal benefit for myself derived from the position that God has appointed me. And Nehemiah takes issue with this and says, no, 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 no. You get that cleaned out of there. You get that temple cleaned out and back to where it's supposed to be. You don't have that authority or that permission before God. So the first thing, first step towards pulling your hair out, faith leaders prioritize personal gain. The second one is that faith followers prioritize personal gain. Picking it up in verse 10, I also discovered that the portion of the Levites had not been given to them so that the Levites and the singers who performed service had gone away each to his own field. So people stopped bringing in the tithes. The people who worked in the temple facilitating the corporate worship gathering said, uh, we have to make a living, so we're going farming. So I reprimanded the officials, and I said, why is the house of God forsaken? And then I gathered them together and restored them to their posts. All Judah then brought the tithe of the grain, wine, and oil into the storehouses. And in charge of the storehouses, I appointed Shelemiah the priest, Zadok the scribe, Padiah of the Levites, and in addition to them was Hanan. For they were considered reliable, and it was their task to distribute to their kinsmen. Does this all sound very familiar? No, we need tithes and offerings coming in to fund our leaders, and yet we're going to appoint a group of responsible uh, men of integrity, men of good reputation, men who are reliable. We're going to make them responsible for the receiving and distribution of those funds. But here's the critical point from this, uh, this part of the story. I discovered that the portion of the Levites had not been given to them so that the Levites and the singers who performed the service had gone away. When you, as part of a church community, don't give generously, not only are you not, you're missing out on the personal benefit of that and walking in obedience to the Lord, but the reality that this passage lays bare is that your lack of generosity sidelines those who have been called by God to ministry, who require that generosity in order to give themselves to that ministry. That is the direct personal connection between generosity in the context of faith community and the capacity of a faith community to become everything that God has called it to be is that the generosity of the people fund those that God has set aside. And when that generosity is withheld, those people don't fall apart. They don't curse God. They don't, there's not like a series of bad things that happen to them. What happens? They go get jobs. They go get other work to feed their families. And Nehemiah says, no, 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 no. No, we need to bring in the tithes and the offerings in order to fund the work of God. 
Five years ago, when Jonathan Walker stepped down from his full-time position, and we brought uh, Skip Bowersox on to a full-time position at that time, we also had some other growing needs at that time, and so we made some other staffing changes, and it was things were just a little bit tight. And someone from our church came and said, hey, I would like to personally, above and beyond what I'm currently giving, I'd like to cover a quarter of Skip's income. I'll do that personally, and I'll make a commitment to do that. And they continued to do that uh, up until just whatever that was a couple months ago when Skip stepped down. They paid a significant portion of his income in order to make it possible for him to dedicate himself to ministry. Isn't that fantastic? What a testimony. That is the way that giving works in the context of faith community. You're giving to make those who are called by God fully available to the service that God has called them to, which then is a benefit back to you in the quality of that service. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 7. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And that's what characterized this group. Joy in giving because they took such great joy in the service of those who receive that giving. I'm gonna offer you just a little sidebar. This is like bonus. This is not from the Lord. This is just Aaron Weiser talking, okay? We're, we're, we're sidetracking from our teaching here just for a second. <clears throat> um, I know that many people struggle with the idea of corporate church. It's actually something I talk about every time that we have interns at Church on the Rock. We go through these, these issues together. With corporate church, right? You guys, how many of you know someone who has a problem with the corporate church? Yeah, right? This is like, uh, this is a, an issue that people get hung up on. And I would suggest that some people who are hung up on it um, legitimately just don't understand some things, and other people just need a reason to not like the church, and that's a convenient one, right? Uh, down with corporate power. Here's the deal. Uh, by incorporating, uh, incorporating as a 501c3, if you make $100 and you give that to the church, the government of the United States of America, as designed by our forefathers, has decided that if you give that to the church, you don't have to pay tax on it. And when we get it, we don't have to pay tax on it. And when we spend it, we don't have to pay tax on it. Without that, 501c3, the $100 that you make gets taxed right now at about 25%, so it's now $75. When you give it to us, we pay tax on it, so now it's down to about $56. And we spend it, we pay sales tax, now it's down to about $50. So that $100 gift turned into a $50 effect or impact, right? And the government says, hey, if you'll just follow a few rules about how you use your money and how you account for it, we'll let you keep all $100. And I say, God bless America. Yeah. Okay, now I'm back to my teaching. Number three, third step towards pulling your hair out. 
faith leaders and followers that deprioritize personal worship. So first, there's faith leaders that prioritize personal gain, and then, of course, their followers prioritize personal gain. And then what comes along next is faith leaders and followers who are deprioritizing personal worship. In those days, this is in verse 15, I saw in Judah some who were treading wine presses on the Sabbath, bringing in sacks of grain and loading them on donkeys as well as wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads. And they brought them into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And so I admonished them on the day they sold food. Also, the men of Tyre, these foreigners, were living there who imported fish and all kinds of merchandise and sold them to the sons of Judah on the Sabbath, even in Jerusalem. And I reprimanded the nobles of Judah, and I said to them, what is this evil thing you are doing by profaning the Sabbath day? When corporate worship is deprioritized, personal worship eventually follows. When we no longer value the corporate gathering, when we no longer prioritize coming together of the body of Christ, and we say, I don't need any part of that, personal worship begins to suffer. They had given up on the Sabbath day, their day for personal worship, and had said to themselves, each individually, I have more important, more pressing things to accomplish. Number four, last one. Faith leaders and followers then allowed immorality and idolatry. In those days, I also saw that the Jews had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. And as for their children, half spoke in the language of Ashdod, and none of them was able to speak the language of Judah, but only the language of his own people. Now, this has come up a couple of times in this story, and for those of you who are wrestling with this, uh, the sort of the racist, what seem like racist undertones, listen to what they say. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin regarding these things in the same way? Yet among the many nations, there was no king like him. He was loved by his God. God made him king over all of Israel. Nevertheless, it was his foreign wives and their idol worship, which he allowed to coexist, that eventually drove him into disobedience or led him into disobedience. Nehemiah looks at the people and he says, King Solomon was not even able to avoid the consequences not of intermarrying, but embracing this, uh, these systems of idol worship, these pagan practices, and saying, that's fine, you can just, just keep it, bring it in, we'll be okay. He says, even King Solomon was eventually seduced away from his heart for the Lord, the purity of his desire to follow the Lord. If King Solomon could not withstand that temptation, do you think we will withstand that temptation if we so cavalierly let idol worship to coexist with the worship of God? We don't stand a chance. It must be dealt with. And then in verse 25, and so I contended with them and cursed them and struck some of them and pulled out their hair. <laughs> now you know how they got there. Four steps. 
toward pulling your hair out. Our elders and I are going to meet later this week and talk about embracing this as kind of like a disciplinary practice for... Uh, that's why Skip and I actually keep our hair pretty short. It's hard to, it's hard to grab. As is often the case, the narrator doesn't uh, commend or judge Nehemiah's actions. It just says, this is what he did. I contended with them, cursed them. I struck some of them, and I pulled out their hair. to reverse this, this decline, prioritizing personal gain, deprioritizing personal worship, following then after immorality and idolatry. Nehemiah's plan to reverse all of this was the reestablishment of corporate worship as a faith community. We need to come together as God's people and build something together. We need to come together as God's people and enjoy the Lord together. It is a simple truth that is manifested repeatedly throughout Scripture. You cannot walk in obedience to God and say, I don't need the body of Christ. The local group of believers... In fact, a Christian life that doesn't require a community of faith is not the Christian life the scripture, the writers of Scripture conceived of. They could not divorce the two. For them to fully experience all the expression of what God intended to manifest his glory on the earth, it happens in the context of a worshiping uh, faith community characterized by joy. 1 Corinthians 12, 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. A Christian cannot point to other believers and say, I don't need, I don't need. It's not the faith the writers of Scripture conceived of. I've heard lots of versions of this. I'm going to church in nature today. You can meet God in nature. I do it all the time. But you can't go to church in nature. That's like saying, I went on a date with my wife. I just left her at home. <laughs> I got to do all of the talking. It was fantastic. I went to church on TV today. No, you didn't. Watching The Bachelorette is different than actually getting engaged. You know there's a difference, right? Watching something isn't going to church. Going to church is putting yourself in proximity with people through whom you're going to discover how true your faith really is how complete the transformation of the Holy Spirit really is in your life. All of the reasons that followers of Christ avoid church, the high personal and relational cost and risk, all of those reasons represent exactly the rich potential for the display of God's power through the church. 
I don't disagree with your reasons for being maybe nervous or concerned or anyone else's reasons about being all in with the faith community. I just know from the promises of God and my own experiences that those same reasons are the very places where God's power and glory is most manifest and discovered. John 13, 35, I'm going to call the worship team up. <clears throat> By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another, for one another, that you together in relationship will be a compelling testimony of the character and nature of God. Hebrews 10, 24, 25, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is my summary statement to you. Love your community of faith by serving with joy. And at the end of it all, even if things don't go well, even if you have some regrets, at the end of it all, if you will invest yourself in that way, if you will love your church by serving your church with joy, by serving the faith community with the resources that you have, your time, your treasure, and your talents, you'll be able to say what Nehemiah says three times in chapter 13. Remember me, O oh God, for good. God, I know it was kind of a mess. I kind of regret pulling that one dude's hair out. Got in trouble for that. It's been some significant disappointments. But God, would you be willing in your grace and in your kindness to remember that I gave it everything I had? I laid my life down for the sake of your church. Would you stand with me? We have a couple of ways to respond uh, as a church in our time of worship. Of course, now is the time where we uh, come before the Lord and just enjoy his presence as, his, as the body of Christ. You know, I love worship, but I love seeing you worship. And your worship here in this place and in this time is an encouragement and a testimony to others who are here. And so we enjoy that time together as the body of Christ. If you need prayer for any reason, for any need whatsoever, we would love to join with you in prayer. There'll be uh, prayer team ministry members over here off to the side, next to the side, it says prayer. They would love to join you. And another thing that we do uh, as a church, is we celebrate uh, the body, the blood of Jesus Christ poured out for us through which we have life. And there's the bread and the cup uh, around the room. You can also, during this time, drop off your tithes and offerings in the receptacles there in the back. Let's come before the Lord together and prepare our hearts. God, I want to pray specifically for those who are uh, either discouraged about their role and relationship to the faith community, uh, maybe those who feel a little bit lost God, that you would give us clarity, that you would give us vision and purpose, a willingness to lay down our lives, to sacrifice 
for the sake of becoming exactly who you have called us collectively to be. We thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name. You know that God loves you. Can I get an amen? Amen. Paul says in Ephesians 3, His grace was given to me to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ, to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. And here it is. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church. The manifold wisdom of God that if you look at what the church is and is called to be, and you peel it back by layer, you discover more and more of the wisdom of God. If you, are, if you feel like you're on the, on the fringe, on the outskirts, and not meaningfully connected, and maybe you're, you feel like you're stuck there, or maybe you have legitimate questions or concerns, we would love to talk with you and have that conversation with you and help you become meaningfully connected and find that joy that comes from the Lord and is available for everyone. I'm going to ask um, our ministry team members to stay put for a few minutes if you have prayer requests and would like to join uh, them uh, for prayers. We finish. We officially end at 1230. Um, so if you could stick around and uh, help pick up chairs and such, that's a huge blessing to our teardown team. God bless you. Uh, enjoy your holiday. May his presence be with you. You are dismissed.